Hello, my friends. Welcome to the world of the creepy and the caffeinated, of conspiracies and coffee. Welcome to Tales from the Dark Roast. So welcome to the very first episode of 2022. As you can tell from the intro music, I started to make some minor changes in the show's format, and I'm also trying out some new ideas as this year progresses. First off, let me introduce myself. I'm William, or as I was calling myself in the first season, Mortimer James. It was a lot of fun using a pseudonym, but I decided it was just a bit too quirky for my taste, and I honestly got tired of editing out my real name from the episodes. So, to quote the world's greatest sailor, I am what I am, and that's all that I am. Uh, second, uh, the new music was graciously, su graciously supplied by my good buddy and a former guest, Jason Whiteley. He worked with me to come up with something fun that was a reflection of a ton of different ideas and influences. If you liked it, be sure to hop over to his SoundCloud account under the name of Van Morrissey. I'll put a link below so you can come and check out his other music. And again, Jason, my man, I can't thank you enough for the work you put in. Uh, next up, uh, our base format is going to roughly stay the same, but I'm going to be opening up the interviews this year to friends of friends and other people that have been suggested to me. This will let me bring in people that have stories I've never heard and obviously open up my pool of interviewees. In fact, if you're listening and you'd like to share your story, reach out to me on Instagram, YouTube, or shoot me an email because I'm always down to hear about creepy things that have happened to other people. All right, we're all set with the uh, updates, so let's get into the meat and potatoes of today's show. I've been trying to peg, this, peg down this guest for the better part of six months, but between life, schedules not lining up, or six ki sick kids requiring our attention, I was beginning to worry it wouldn't happen. Now, though, the stars have aligned, Mercury is in retrograde, or some such, and finally, coming down onto the dark roast is my good friend from high school who moved out of state and became a ghost hunter in his spare time. In fact, he worked with a team that was affiliated with TAPS of Ghost Hunters fame. During his time, he got to investigate what many consider one of the most haunted hospitals in the country, Waverly Hills Sanator Sanatorium? Yeah, Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm stoked to bring him on the show now and hear some of the experiences he had while investigating there. So, welcome to the Dark Roast, Mr. Chris Hughes. How hey, are you Mr. doing, man? Fields. Hey, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. And you're right, it's been a long time <laughs> coming for this episode, this interview. Yeah, dude, it was a, it was a long journey to get here. Uh, I know we got real stoked about it real early in the, well, probably about towards the last two or three months of last year. And just every time something would happen, I'd either have to leave early or go to work or sick kids. So, yeah, Mike. My children are always sick. I don't know what the deal is, but uh, for the moment, everything is perfect. So it's good hey. timing. Hey, especially uh, especially during this period of uh, the pandemic and stuff, man. Anytime uh, everyone's hail, hail, hearty and hail, you can't complain. <laughs> so, but um, I saw you. Uh, I saw you were drinking something from a mug there, but uh, I get the feeling it's not coffee right now, huh? Yeah, I don't know if this is allowed or not, but I'm not drinking coffee right now. But what I am drinking is. Uh, the world's best hot chocolate. So for anyone out there listening, if you're looking for some really great hot chocolate, Landa Lakes, who makes you know, the butter, um, they make impeccable or wonderful uh, hot chocolate. So definitely check that out. See, I'm, 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 a, I'm a cheapskate when it comes to hot chocolate for whatever reason. <laughs> I think my favorite is like the Swiss Miss stuff that you could buy like everywhere with the little, <laughs> the little crinkly marshmallows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that stuff will last for eternity for sure. Yeah, there'll be the cockroaches, 
that stuff and Twinkies. That's it. So, <laughs> hmm. Sorry, I am drinking. Um, my daughter actually for Christmas got me a sampler pack off the internet of like, I think it's nine different countries for like nine different, you know, different uh, types of coffee. So I'm drinking something from Papua New Guinea, which is really, <laughs> really good. That's fantastic. That's a great uh, Christmas gift. Yeah. Um, my, uh, my go-to coffee is normally McDonald's coffee in the morning. Um, <laughs> it's cheap and good. And I don't know what about, you know, what it is about McDonald's coffee, but uh, that's my go-to. I'm, I'm not going to lie. If, uh, if we're talking fast food coffee, I actually really enjoy uh, Taco Bell's coffee. Now that they, now that they serve coffee or now that they serve breakfast, their coffee is not bad. <laughs> I'll so. have to give that a try. I definitely would have not uh, associated Taco Bell <laughs> with good coffee, but I'll take your word for it. I mean, I, I usually drink myself black anyway, so, you know, it doesn't matter if it tastes like sludge. I'm just looking for something that's dark and going to wake me up. So <laughs> I may not be the best, uh, the best judge of what's good coffee for fast food. So, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, man, when did you, uh, when did you get into ghost hunting? Because I don't think when we knew each other in high school and hung out, I don't think we ever talked about anything spooky or paranormal. <laughs> so yeah, most of our conversations were about uh, punk rock music and skateboarding yep. at that time in our in our lives. And, um, you know, but the new uh, kid in hallway one, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, but um, you know, to kind of guess reinforced your your intro there. You know, we moved to Nashville in 2008, and um, I didn't really know anyone when we moved here. You know, we moved from Tampa to Nashville and. Um, so I joined this ghost hunting group based out of Clarksville, Tennessee, just on a whim. I was, you know, decided that I was going to, you know, kind of buy into the popularity of what was happening there. I've always been kind of fascinated with the paranormal, uh, mysteries, you know, in general, things that are unexplained. And, um, yeah, so I joined this ghost hunting group uh, out of Clarksville and I was with them for maybe around two years total. And started as an investigator, kind of just, you know, going along with them to uh, mostly residential areas. You know, we have a lot of great history here in Tennessee. So we definitely went to some interesting um, places around that are, you know, somewhat popular locations for just history and that kind of thing. But um, the majority of our cases that we went to were residential. And, it's, you know, people contacting us through the website or, you know, the web forums mentioning that their children had seen things in their rooms or they've been experiencing things, you know, while sleeping and, uh, you know, all the, all those kinds of stuff. So, um, yeah, but, uh, it was definitely a fun experience for sure. Um, it reinforced a lot of my interests and beliefs in the paranormal with my experiences while I was there for around two years. And at one point, I got to become, you know, their tech manager, <laughs> uh, you know, really kind of just handling the technology aspect and, you know, reviewing, um, reviewing the, the, you know, all the video recordings and uh, DVR footage that we would get at the end of evening. So I got a first kind of look at the evidence that we would capture for these cases and compile those, you know, for our clients, which were always free, by the way. Oh, um, that's cool. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I had a great time and met some really cool people and um, got to uh, experience a side of life that a lot of people don't. And, um, you know, 
yeah, you know, just going to be a part of that for a while. I think it was <laughs> definitely a lot of fun. Not something that I could do long term, you know, late nights and uh, takes a lot of time for sure of, you know, recording, you know, footage and communication with the client and back and forth and driving, you know, a lot of travel. So uh, it was short lived, but um, definitely worth it for the two years I was there. Oh, yeah. And especially as your kids get older and everything, you got to put more time into them, you know. Absolutely. When they're, when yeah. they're super little and they're sleeping all the time. It's like, oh, it's not too bad that daddy's gone at night. But yeah. And now that we got to, uh, you know, my wife, Rachel, needs needs backup for sure. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so what was um, what was the name of the group, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, the name of the group was uh, Clark, the Clarksville Ghost Hunters, you know, super original. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think you mentioned this in the intro, too. We were affiliated with TAPS, which happened pretty early on when I joined the group, within a couple of weeks of me starting. Um, and I don't know how prestigious of a title that is, you know, a TAPS affiliation. That's probably more common than, you know, maybe what I think it was. But um, essentially... If there was a case that was reported to TAPS, which I think they were based in the Northeast somewhere. I can't remember where. Uh, Rhode Island, I believe. Rhode Island. Okay, yeah. And, uh, you know, so they receive calls and cases from all over the country and the world. And uh, so they would reach out to affiliates. So if there was a case here, you know, let's say in Louisville, Kentucky or somewhere in this area, they would reach out to us. We would go investigate, report back our findings to them. And, you know, whether if we, you know, if we recovered the appropriate amount of footage or, you know, things that they needed to check whatever boxes to film an episode of Ghost Hunters, you know, they would do that. And they actually did that uh, twice that I can think of oh, wow. um, during the time that I was with the Clarksville Ghost Hunters. So, oh, dude, uh, so you, you guys were almost like location scouts, but you were like yeah, normal scouts for taps. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. There's a really cool place called the Octagon Hall that is in the Bowling Green, Kentucky area. And um, that was kind of our home base in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of great stuff happened there. Uh, history, you know, Civil War, really cool structure, lots of activity. And uh, TAPS definitely came and uh, filmed there. And I think recorded some pretty good stuff there too. So if there's nice. any Ghost Hunters fans out there that are familiar with that show and have access to previous episodes check out uh, octagon hall and uh bowling green kentucky you know i i pro i'm not gonna lie I, I i probably saw every episode for probably the first four or five seasons so there may be a chance that i saw that one without ever realizing it so yeah it, i don't think it was as um you know interesting as like the saint augustine lighthouse you know mm -hmm. and some of those other kind of big deal episodes that they had but uh it's definitely worth a watch Oh man, I, I really want to get back out to St. Augustine because I've, I've visited, but never as like a ghost hunter. It was always just visiting during the day with friends or family or uh, actually playing, uh, you know, uh, mobile games on my phone, going out there catching, <laughs> catching the Pokemon and uh, doing Ingress. So <laughs> yeah, I think St. Augustine might be one of the most haunted cities in the United States. That and, like uh, Savannah. Yeah, I can see that for sure, too. Yeah, it's, nice. it's in the East Coast and, and hauntings. Oh, dude, all that Southern history, man. That, uh, I guess so, yeah. That creepy uh, Southern Gothic vibe going on for sure. <laughs> so, um, but dude, so how long were you with the group before you guys, uh, you guys tackled Waverly Hills? So I was with the group for about two years total before, you know, it was just kind of too taxing on my lifestyle. And, uh, you know, we had our first 
child around then too. Plus I was joining the military around that time as well. So, um, but I would say about a year and a half in probably, you know, that time I was, you know, tech manager and kind of running their tech side. And um, that may have been our biggest investigation. So I was trying to nail down like what, you know, what year, what, what date it was that we went, but it was so long ago, almost 15 years ago, I, I want to say is when we went. Oh, so man. I can't remember what happened last week, half the time, Billy, but um, yeah. It was definitely between, you know, I think it was around 2008, 2009, if the okay. mathematics lines up correctly for that. But um, so, yeah, about a year and a half in, and um, we were lucky enough to get access to the entire building, just our group for the whole night. And um, yeah, it was on a Friday night, and um, it was, gosh, it was a lot of fun. You know, when we showed up, and we had to wait outside the gate. So it, it, the, the location for Waverly Hills is a little bit southwest of, of Louisville. So it's kind of in a really unassuming uh, location. You know, it's kind of a small town and you drive up this big driveway and you get to these gigantic gates. And uh, so we had to wait outside the gates for about 30 minutes for the owners to come down and let us in. So we're out there taking pictures and uh, it's getting kind of stormy outside, you know, there's like dark clouds and, you know, kind of heat lightning happening. We're like, oh, this is like the perfect scenario for what you want, you know, for yeah. something like this. It was really kind of um, coming together. So we're out there at the gates waiting, kind of goofing off, taking pictures. And we see this car coming down the, um, the path there. It's a pretty long path from the gate to the, the building. And uh, so the gate opens up and the car, the car comes out and they just leave. And they're, they're kind of hauling butt. We're like, what was that? You know, we we're thinking they were coming down to let us in. And uh, the person just left. They didn't say anything to us. They didn't, they didn't even look at us. Just drove off. <laughs> we were like, what in the hell? So, so the gates are open. So we drive up and we go to the main building and we go inside and we're talking to the owner and we're like, who was, you know, who was the person that just drove past us? And she goes, oh, that's, you know, so-and-so. I can't remember her name. Uh, she's brand new. She had a rough night last night and she was ready to go. <laughs> go. We're like, oh my God. So, um, yeah, that poor gal. What a, what a great like, way to start your investigation though. Yeah. Someone literally scared or terrified or done and just leaving. Yeah, she was done. I don't know if she came back, you know, post that <laughs> evening, but apparently she was brand new had a rough night and was ready to get the hell out of there. So, um, you know, my first thought was, oh, that was some sort of like ploy or I don't know, like they're staging something to kind of set up, set us up for, you know, some excitement. But <laughs> I think it's <laughs> pretty serious because I talked to a few people after that that worked there, mm -hmm. you know, pretty regularly. And they, you know, told me about their experiences and the things they go through, just being security, you know, or walking the halls and, it sounds like a pretty stressful place to be, you know, employed at on yeah. a regular basis, honestly. So especially if you're not really into paranormal and you kind of just need a job, you know, and that I would imagine that area of Louisville probably doesn't have a ton of employment. So you, um, you take what you can get. But Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she leaves, you guys approach the owner and uh, she's telling you, oh, rough night. And uh, yeah, yeah. You know, at that point, uh, you know, I think it was own the new owners. They bought it in 2001 from what I remember them telling us. So they've been there for a while. You know, they, they've owned the building. They had, you know, security. They had, you know, their business set up, you know, because, you know, they are a business. They're making money off of people coming to to visit. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we had to pay to lock down the building for the entire night. I forget what the final cost was that time. But so, you know, they are business owners. And at that time, <laughs> at that time, they were renovating the building to turn it into some sort of like bed and breakfast or condo. I think their end goal was to renovate the building because they were putting new windows in. You know, the, the, it was a very open air type environment, you know, yeah. even back you know, in the early uh, 1900s when the building was operational, but um, so they're putting brand new windows in and they were trying to clean things up and I think turn them into condos for a bed and breakfast, which just seemed kind of absurd, but I don't know yeah. <laughs> how far they've gotten since then, but um, that was their game plan, at least back then at that time. Yeah, I was, and, reading, on, I was reading on Wikipedia and, and doing a little research about it. And like, there have been talks to turn it into a prison, uh, one guy was talking about building like a 150 foot statue of Jesus, like the, the one in Rio de Janeiro, the one up on the mountain, like there were all sorts of talks about turning this thing into different, you know, different types of venues and yeah. you know, re- religious places. And I'm like, eh. doesn't surprise me one bit. I don't think anyone has a solid game plan or really realizes the scope of what's going to take to turn you know, a building of that size into something like that. But, you know, just a quick history, I guess, for the folks that um, are listening that maybe don't know much about Waverly Hills. So the building opened in uh, 2000, or 2011 <laughs> and uh, was operational until 1960, 61. 61. And, um, yeah, so it was a, um, you know, it's a tuberculosis hospital, you know, for TB for treatment, essentially, uh, you know, if they sanatorium. So um, I guess the idea was that they were going to house all these people in this gigantic building and that, you know, at that time, fresh air and sunlight and, you know, all these kind of um, open air environments would help with, you know, all the ailments and symptoms that come along with tuberculosis. So I think it definitely, at least at at the start, you know, what the, (laughs) it was, the idea was, you know, kind of a safe haven for people, but Ultimately, you know, with the amount of deaths, which I think they're estimating between 50 and 60,000 people had died from tuberculosis, you know, during that pretty short time span, you know, there's only what 50 years um, that it was open and operational and to have 50 to 60,000 people die from tuberculosis. And maybe it was even more than that. I don't know. But um you know, that's a lot and of just people. Just in that one area, no less. Yeah, one area. And, you know, so, you know, and post the treatment of, you know, trying to get folks out there in open air and, uh, you know, just having a, a nice place basically to pass away, I think was kind of what the goal was. But, um, you know, there, there's also a lot of uh, really shady things and experiments and surgeries and things that happened at the hospital as well that um, don't get talked about as much, but I think are kind of, a part of the fabric of the trauma that happened at this hospital and, um, you know, contributes to the deaths and the severity of, you know, what people went through and experienced at this place too. So pretty fascinating history. Definitely, definitely lends itself to uh, the whole haunting thing as well, because they say with trauma and, you know, deep emotional things, you know, experiences will leave that, that imprint or that, that chance for a haunting so mm-hmm. with that many deaths that's a that's a lot of opportunities for something to latch on and stay yeah absolutely you know and they're uh 
the building itself, you know, it's a two-story structure, uh, brick, you know, of course they use brick for everything back then, concrete, and um, just gigantic windows because of that kind of open air environment, and uh, has a really kind of art deco kind of gothic i don't know if that's the right terminology art yeah. technology and i'm not an architect you know architect by any means but uh it's a really um interesting building to come up to you know it has a very scary vibe when you walk you know when you drive up and see this structure and it has a lot of um you know like pillars and things of weird you know, like flying creatures and, you know, things you would see in a movie. You're like, what in the hell is going on here? But, uh, um, you know, the, the visual of this place and what it looks like totally matches up with what, you know, the, the lore of and the history of what's happened here and what people claim, you know, to be a part of, uh, you know, the history of what's happened at Waverly Hills. It's, it's a really cool place. Anyone that's traveling through the Louisville area, needs to go check this place out just for your own personal you know enjoyment uh for lack of better words so if you're, you're going for a haunted hospital it looks like a haunted hospital yeah that is your stereotypical haunted hospital for sure nice so um when you guys get in and you you set up all your gear and you you start investigating did you guys section it off or did you just kind of spread out or did you guys attack it with a game plan like how did you do it yeah, we were fairly seasoned investigators at that point. You know, the group had been around long before I was a part of it. So um, we, we definitely came in with a game plan. We got a tour of the building early on once we got there to kind of get an idea of the layout so we wouldn't get lost because it's gigantic. You know, yeah. you could walk around the entire night and uh, never see the same place twice if you wanted to. So, um, yeah, you know, we kind of set up. We got a game plan. You know, we had a game plan going in. There was maybe 10 of us total within the group. And I actually brought a friend with me who um, was very skeptical, you know, of the paranormal and um, the idea of, you know, some of the claims that I was telling him about that I experienced in this group. So he, uh, he joined me and I'll tell you about his experiences throughout our interview here. But um, so he was really the only guest outside right. of the rest of the group that was there. So we were, you know, locked and loaded, man. We had, um, you know, the place sectioned off, um, you know, being in tech, I had DVR cameras all over the place. And if those that are familiar with the, the layout of the building has, you know, has maybe watched, you know, some of some episodes on TV about Waverly Hills, there's kind of a central hub um, in the middle and from there it, there's offshoots essentially uh, like long hallways mm -hmm. from the central hub so you can run a camera um, centrally down these hallways you know and capture um, you know footage all the way down the hall um, which was kind of you know part of our game plan you know is we had around six cameras on each area of the level so that's a lot that's a lot of footage to you know to oh, yeah. night, but um you only go to Waverly Hills once, you know, as a group like this. So we overdid it for sure. Um, we stayed in pretty small groups and that way we would not contaminate, you know, recordings of each other in different areas of the building. So, and we were pretty organized about who was where and who was with someone. And, you know, we, you know, you, you kind of have a battle buddy essentially. So you're not roaming the building by yourself and getting lost or having something awful <laughs> happen to you without backup. Um, so yeah, we um, 
set up um, shop uh, kind of downstairs and, you know, um, some of the, the bigger open air areas and then just ran cameras down all these long hallways. And um, some of the things that we did to try to capture evidence, and I saw this, I can't take credit for it because I saw it on an episode somewhere about Waverly long before I was a part of a ghost hunting group, but there was um, a crew that visited Waverly some time in the past and they were running lasers down the hallways. And what they were capturing and what we captured was the same thing, was um, dark shadows breaking the laser beams, moving from one, one room down the hallway to the other room, to the other side, essentially. Oh, so, <laughs> and these hallways are incredibly long. You know, there's, gosh, I don't know, 20 rooms, maybe plus on each side, you know, each, each hallway section. So it's really hard to, you know, you know, to cap you know, capture the, the, the depth of feel that you need, you know, to really get good video, visual evidence, you know, from something way down there when your camera's way over here. So yeah. using a laser, you can kind of um, see when things are moving and when things are happening and zero in on those spots when you're reviewing the footage. And uh, that was by far my favorite of the experiments that we did because we were able to capture things breaking that plane and breaking that laser when you know you don't have any investigators in that section and uh, you're seeing things you know dark shadows basically moving from room to room breaking that plane um that's a pretty it's a pretty fascinating thing to, to experience for sure so oh man i, I think visually I... that was our you know best captured evidence that we got and uh, it was very similar to what these other investigators captured too while they were there. And I was actually using um, a cat laser, a cat toy laser. <laughs> I was just about to ask what you were using. Yeah. <laughs> super, super high tech because I, I wasn't thinking, you know, when we got there and I was like, you know, I had this like laser idea that I wanted to run and I didn't bring any damn lasers with me. So like, you know, like where do you buy lasers anyway? So I went to Petco before we went up to Waverly and bought all their cat lasers and uh, ran some duct tape around the button and just laid them there essentially next to the camera down the hallway, you know, super high tech, but um, it definitely worked. Hey man, high tech doesn't mean that it has to be complicated. You know, mm -hmm. so that's that's a brilliant idea. You you, you just MacGyvered the hell out of it, and yeah. uh, you made it work and caught good evidence to boot. So yeah, we did. That was pretty cool. Um, so a lot of us, you know, we're walking around in groups of two, mm -hmm. and as far as audio evidence, you know, because obviously it's a big part of investigating our EVPs, and I, I know you've talked about this in previous episodes. So hopefully, most of your um, listenership has you know is, is somewhat familiar with the idea of evps but you know you're which is we're walking a, around electronic with, voice phenomenon yeah. yes thank you perfect and you know which is a really fascinating um way of capturing sound and evidence and people speaking that you can't see and we've had a lot of success with that with the clarksville ghost hunters in the past especially in a residential settings we're able to kind of leave those in rooms and you know over periods of time and capture things and ask questions and, and get responses occasionally too so uh, we did capture some good evps but with waverly hills at the time you know not all the windows were set in place so we were getting a lot of um audio from the lightning and the rain and uh just the wind so it was really a difficult thing to capture but um 
some of the, you know, the first floor, some of that's kind of blocked off. And uh, we were able to capture some really interesting conversation between people that were not in the room with us. Um, it was hard to make out what they were saying, but it was clearly kind of a volley conversation back and forth between two people. And I'm trying to remember exactly what this room was, what its purpose was, but it was some sort of administrative room, you know, likely mm -hmm. for, you know, the staff that worked in the hospital on the first floor. So um, that was really fascinating to capture that audio. And that was really early on in the investigation. You know, uh, we were kind of walking around, we we're asking questions. We weren't really getting a lot of things happening early on in the investigation, you know, just there wasn't a lot of kind of things moving and there wasn't anything um you know worth noting at that time at least so to look back and get that um that's evps uh, was pretty fascinating but i wish we were able to uh to really understand what they were saying but it was more like whispering and it was kind of a, a volley back and forth and it almost sounded like they were talking about us being in the room with them but it was hard to hear what they were saying it was like they were noticing us there they were observing us in their space so um, that was pretty creepy, but we didn't review the evidence until after the fact. So we didn't even know that was happening, um, you know, until much later in the investigation. But which is what a lot of people say with EVPs. You don't notice it yeah. at the time because you're doing the investigation. Absolutely. And then it's afterwards when. You yeah, it's after the fact, which, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive because you almost want to know that you're receiving information at the time so that you can kind of follow up on what you're hearing. You know, and there has been some crews that I've seen on TV, you know, I think even TAPS. Uh, ghost hunters that have been able to do that successfully where they can review their evidence quickly and um you know kind of follow up with what they're with what they're hearing but um i mentioned my friend that went with me on the, the, the tour. skeptic right the skeptic yeah and so we were walking around pretty early on and we're kind of in the same area of the building the first floor kind of administrative section where a lot of the doctors and nurses probably spent most of their time and uh, we were just walking down the hallway and uh, he had a flashlight because it's you know pitch dark right. in the building. There wasn't, a, you know, there was some lights that they had set up inside of there. So if you needed lights, you know, there was, they had some things you could access. But for the most part, you know, you're just, it's, you know, 12 a.m., 1 a.m. in the morning. You're walking around this gigantic building without any lights. So your flashlight is kind of your best friend. So he and I were kind of tagging along behind the rest of the crew. There's maybe five or six of us. And uh, <clears throat> he, uh, he shone uh, his flashlight or beamed his flashlight inside one of the rooms. <laughs> and he jumped into me because he's to the right of me. He's shining <laughs> his flashlight into the room to the right. And he, you know, kind of reactionary jumped and almost knocked me over into the room to my left. And he's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, what the hell was that? You know, and I'm like, what did you see? And he claims uh, to this day what he saw was a nurse inside of that dark room staring at him, uh, you know, wearing the typical, you know, I guess, 1940s nurse hat yeah. and a white outfit and with dark, eye, dark eyes staring at him or looking at him when he, sh he, you know, he shone his flashlight into that room, which, you know, for someone to experience something like that is absolutely terrifying. Oh, uh, God, especially yeah. when you know they disappear right after you do that and then there's no one in the room so to experience something like that is is life-changing you know for anyone especially you know even someone that believes in the paranormal or the idea of something like that could happen 
and uh, he did not, uh, you know, has never experienced something like that before. And quite frankly, I've never seen an apparition, you know, right. or any sort of physical spirit during the time that I've investigated. So he, um, yeah, he definitely had a life changing experience. And it was really early on in the investigation. So <laughs> it, totally, <laughs> it totally jacked him up for the rest of the night, man. Like he just, you know, on edge and he had a really hard time calming him down we actually went um on the bourbon trail earlier that that weekend and we had some uh buffalo trace uh, bourbons we had a couple of shots of that shortly after that experience just to try to <laughs> calm him i was gonna through. i was gonna ask that was, was he nervous the rest of the night like his yeah yeah he, he, shot? Was, he was shook man for sure but um he's the only one in the entire group that saw something that entire night and um you know even to this day when i talk to him uh, we still kind of talk about that a little bit in that experience and how it's impacted uh the way that he, he kind of views life and you know i guess death as well too well i was gonna say especially as a skeptic because i i've never had an experience well i've never had an experience that i can prove was something paranormal um which i talk about in the very last episode uh from last year but i want to believe like i'm that guy that i'm looking to find that that proof or that evidence for whatever it is. I, I, you know, I'm not saying it's the afterlife. I'm not saying it's spirits. I just want to know what it is. So, you know, I'm that guy that's looking for that. So to have that sort of experience, especially as a skeptic on your, your first time in. Yeah. That would, that would absolutely wreck me. Like I'd either be super ecstatic and be like, dude, I saw it. I saw it. That's me, this guy right here. Or I'd be like, deuces. I had to go. Like, and I don't know how I would react. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Was, you, know, you know, to your point about wanting to believe and, you know, there's definitely something to be said about the idea that we just don't understand, you know, what's all the things that are happening in this world. There's no yeah. way that we do. And, um, you know, it's okay to go through life and not be interested, you know, about what happens to us after we die or, you know, our loved ones and, you know, all the things, the mysteries that are kind of happening, you know, even in the space of extraterrestrial, you know, uh, evidence that we're kind of getting right now, which is a whole nother conversation, but, um, oh, yeah. oh, you yeah. know, there's, there's a lot of things happening that um, I think we're just kind of waking up to, we're just kind of realizing, and our technology is catching up to a point that we're able to capture this stuff and really start asking questions you know, about what this is and, you know, how we can un better understand it. Because if we're not asking those questions and we're not trying, then we're really missing an opportunity to uh, just kind of better understand, you know, life and uh, all the nuances that come along with it. Absolutely. Man, that's really well said because, you know, you, I, you, you speak to a lot of people that are really into paranormal and it's just ghosts, 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 ghosts. And, they only ever talk about it from a paranormal, from a, a believer standpoint or someone of faith, but we don't know what it is. You know, there's, there's no, no wise man or holy man can explain it properly and completely. No scientist can explain it properly and completely. So I think it's especially little groups like the one you worked with and, and other groups like it. I think they're doing a lot of the, the grunt work to, 
to really try to figure out what it is and, and to document it and to share it with other people. And that that's really commendable to me. Like, I love the idea of being part of something like that and getting out there and, and trying to share it with the world and open people's eyes. Because even if you don't catch anything, that's still proof of something, whether it be, you know, that nothing's there or that nothing happened. I don't know. It's uh, yeah, that's like a great that point. You know, I kind of mentioned the residential um, experiences that we had with uh, the ghost hunting group. And a lot of times people wanted us to report back like, hey, what you're experiencing is just, you know, normal things that happen in the house and uh, there's nothing to worry about, which was pretty common to happen as well, too. So yeah. um, just providing that kind of reassurance that, um, hey, everything's OK. And, and even if you are experiencing something here that is unusual, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be harmful to, you know, a family or whatever it might be. So, you know, I think a lot of people in general just want to know that they can be reunited with their loved ones after life. And I think, you know, for most people, that's, you know, if you, if you talk to a skeptic or someone that really isn't, you know, open to believing the idea of ghosts or spirits, like, you know, everyone can relate to that. Like, you know, if your grandparents have passed away, you want to see those, you know, those people you know, again at some point, whether in this life or an afterlife or a different life again, and kind of reunite. And we all want that. It's that that's, you know, I guess a, a goal for all of us, you know, in humanity to be reunited with our loved ones. Yeah. I guess everyone's just looking for a peek behind the veil, you know, mm. they, they want to know, at least know that there's something there, something to, to look forward to when, when it's their time, I suppose. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, um, there's another couple of fascinating things about Waverly, before, you know, before we get too off topic that I wanted yeah. to make sure that we got in here. There, you know, as mentioned, there was 50, 60,000 people that died at Waverly mm -hmm. Hills. And a big part of uh, I guess the lore of Waverly Hills is the body shoot. Are you familiar with? Yes. That? I was going to ask if you guys got into it and were able to walk some of it because. Yeah. I remember when they did it on Ghost Hunters, and I've seen other people that have gone into it, and I'm not going to lie, if I ever get a chance to go up there, I want to walk that for as long as I can before I lose my uh, lose my cool and run back screaming like a little girl, because <laughs> I know it'll happen. I know it will, but it's absolutely worth going through if you are able to take a trip to Waverly Hills, and we went through it twice. We went through it the first time uh, as part of the tour, basically, because she wanted us to go down the you know the body shoot with the people that work there because there's all sorts of dangerous things inside of there outside of you know the idea of any kind of spirits or ghosts you know right. tagging along with you but it's incredibly dark you can't even see the hand in front of your face it's all kinds of things to trip on and it's on um, a slope too like you're going slope, down you know, so um your you know your equilibrium is kind of off in general and uh it's incredibly cold down there as well you know it's not that far under the ground when you kind of you know look at it from uh you know the perspective of you know location and how they kind of built the tunnel but it's unusually cold and um you know throughout the entire thing and uh you know the the audio the echo you know you kind of gets when you're walking down there kind of plays tricks on your mind too so there's all kinds of variables that you're experiencing your body's experiencing outside of the idea of something terrifying behind you or in front of you you know so you're already just on edge in general because it's a lot longer of a walk than 
you want it to be you know what i mean you kind of start and you're like oh it's not so bad and you can't really see anything and you're kind of tripping on stuff and you're you know kind of falling all over the place because it's a weird angle and then you're kind of scared you know because you're just if you're familiar with waverly you've heard the stories of thousands and thousands of dead bodies being transported through this hallway you know and and for your for your viewership you know the 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 goal of the I guess not the goal, but the purpose, a part of the purpose of this long tunnel was to carry the dead bodies, the, the, the deceased, um, down the tunnel to, um, you know, the, uh, I guess the, the edge of the property to where they were out of view of the folks that were still alive. Yeah, it was a, so it was that, a morale thing. They didn't want to bump yes, people out by seeing, you know, oh, hey, there's, there's Donnie from uh, 6B up on the second floor. <laughs> like, holy crap, there he goes. So, yeah. You know exactly yeah you did that will totally wreck your murder that's a great way of putting it but um that was a big part of the purpose at least or part of the functionality i should i should right. say on the right word um that ended up being what it was used for so but yeah it's an incredibly long tunnel man like when you get about halfway you're like okay i'm ready i'm ready to be out of this tunnel like are, <laughs> how far how far are we from the end here because you can't really see it and to, and to get to the halfway point and um, you, you, you kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, so to speak. And uh, so anyway, the first time we went down the, the body shoot, it was a big group of us. So there was no way to capture audio, you know, effectively right. with everyone talking and, you know, cutting up and laughing and being terrified together and being a part of the tour because the lady that was the owner of the building at the time was kind of talking about the history of the building and experiences. So a little later on in the evening, we're kind of wrapping up, or before we wrapped up, we went back through the body tunnel again. There was, I think, three of us total. My my friend didn't join me on the uh, the body shoots walk. I think he was still pretty messed up from his previous experience. So it was just I three of us. Blame from, him. Yeah, from the uh, the group. And um, so yeah, it was much earlier in the morning, maybe around 4 a.m kind of walking through there again and we were trying to be really quiet you know and kind of just experience the body shoot um i guess in its native form without much right. talking and just walking through and uh man it was extraordinarily scary um uh, i personally didn't have anything happen to me in the body shoot but um an investigator that was behind me because i was kind of in the middle which worked out great because i didn't want to be first or, or last <laughs> so i was fortunate enough to be in the middle of the group so some something terrifying happened i could run one way or the other um you know and be safe i guess but uh anyway the person behind me claims that she felt some someone put a hand on her shoulder uh, while we were walking and we had, we were kind of in the middle you know at that point too where you kind of see the exit and we, you've gone too far to kind of go, go backwards so she screamed and i screamed the person in front of me screamed and we all kind of just you know uh, split up essentially and trying to figure out what the hell was going on you can't see anything i couldn't see them so you know wow. we're stuck on top of each other and we're turning our flashlights on trying to see if there's anyone in the tunnel playing a trick on us and you know there's anything happening and there's no one else in the tunnel Wow. Um, Did she say it was like they were like it was like a, a comforting touch or was it like an aggressive like pushing her down or? She said it was a, um, a cold touch. It was like a freeze. It was already it's already freezing in there as it was. And the time mm -hmm. of year that we were there was pretty cold. I think it was during fall or winter. And uh, so she felt said it was felt like a like an, uh, 
an ice cube essentially it was clearly a hand from what she said and it was as cold as you know ice an ice cube you know cold so it was very death. startling so uh <laughs> yeah so she was freaked out and she was relatively new with the group too um but you know she's kind of person that has a really good head on her shoulders and a very balanced personality not one to get worked up over nothing so um, I very much believed her as she said that something happened. Um, there was no doubt in my mind that uh, she was not exaggerating or, you know, anything else. So at that point, we were pretty eager to get the hell out of there. So we were <laughs> briskly walking towards the exit. And uh, shortly before we got to the exit, we saw what looked like a shadow pass in front of the exit, you know, because you kind of see that, uh, you know, the moonlight essentially is, is right. lighting the hole in the, or the exit area. And it looked like something kind of passed over the exit. So I couldn't tell whether that was outside the exit or something inside, but I was very eager to get to the exit to see if there was someone from our group that was waiting for us right. or if a car had drove by because the exit's kind of in a weird spot where, you know, you can, there's trees and kind of a tree line in the distance and things that could have, um, you know, been the case instead of, you know, something paranormal, but uh, we were not able to figure out what that was. So that was the extent of our experience in the body shoot, as they call it. And uh, no one else in our group had too much, uh, 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 or had too much um, else happening on their tour the, at the body shoot or their experience, mm -hmm. uh, other than hearing some whispering, but um, we were not able to capture that on uh, audio unfortunately well still though man like one a personal experience like they're they're hard to back up because it's a personal experience unless it's happening to multiple people but then all of you being able to see the shadow walk across the exit and like you said it could have been could have been lights from a passing car mm -hmm. could have been someone walking the property you didn't know about it even could have been like uh, a cloud going over the moon especially since you mentioned the moonlight but yeah, still, I thought maybe it was a deer at first too, but um, you know, who knows what it could have been. It's still just the fact that it happened yeah. and everyone and saw it. Touch you. <laughs> having yeah. something to touch you that's not there, um, it'll mess you up, man, for sure. No. So uh, so that was towards the end of the night. Did you guys have anything else happen while you were there? You know, that was, I think, the extent of the really interesting things that happened. You know, being touched in the body shoot. Um, seeing uh you know seeing things break the laser plane shadows essentially kind of break the plane within the patient rooms during in the hallways was definitely the most fascinating um you know we captured some evp work my friend uh, have you know seeing a visual of something that Nurse, was probably the yeah. highlight of the night and uh but for the most part what we all experienced while we were there was voices just outside of the area that you're investigating. So, and this happened with everyone that that uh, was there and it's a very common experience as you're walking down the patient rooms, you know, through the hallways and you're hearing whispering, you're hearing talking, you're hearing a conversation that's happening and you can't make out what's being said, but it's clearly that something, you know, audio is happening around you and you get to that point where you think that you'll be able to discover someone or something and then it's a little bit further away and it's a little bit further away and that was just the case all night long where we were just like trying to catch 
you know, whatever it was that was in front of us. And you could run down there, you know, to where it was and it'd be somewhere else, it'd be, you know, it, it'd be behind you. Um, and it was just, we were always just trying to play, you know, game of, game of tag or game of catch with um, these whispers all night. And that was pretty fascinating for sure. I think that would probably creep me out more than the shadows down the hallway because <laughs> at least they're down the hallway. Yeah, you're in whispers, and they keep changing yeah, and they're close. where you're hearing they're from. Close. Yeah, they feel like they're in the rooms next to you, and you sh you shine your flashlight in the room, you know. And all these rooms are connected, you know. They're they're not like segregated to where you have kind of your own room. You can, you know, there, there's a balcony outside where these windows, you know, they're putting in are, so you can walk, you know, from room to room to room down the hallway or through the rooms or through the balconies, and they're all kind of connected, and uh, they're just constantly out of reach, and um, it's pretty pretty scary and it, it kind of increased in intensity throughout the night too so by the time that we were getting ready to wrap up you know the whispers were turning into louder conversations it's almost like they were getting irritated with us being in their space throughout the night and that was kind of the impression I got was that they were just they were ready for us to go and quite frankly at the end of the night I was exhausted and it's kind of you know mentally jacked and then those I was ready to go too nice what would you say was like the overall like uh you know you get a feel for a place you walk in and you instantly know like oh this is a good place or this is a, a bad place you get those impressions that you you can't define why you get them but you get them what was uh what was your overall impression of waverly when you got there and did it change throughout the night yeah it's a great question you know i knew the history of the building going into it because i'm the kind of person that likes to research things before i get involved yeah. with anything <laughs> Um, especially at something um, that requires the amount of work and effort to film the entire building and, you know, make sure that we do an adequate job while we were there. And my overall impression of the, the vibe was, was sadness. And I don't know if that, if just knowing how many people died in the building before we even got there plays a role in that, probably so. But um, just being there over the course of the night, I just felt sad for just knowing how sick people were that were in there and their families weren't allowed to visit them. And the lifespan of someone that, that was a resident at the, the sanatorium was less than a year in most cases, just a couple of months. Wow. It wasn't very long. So, you know, you show up with your belongings and that's the place that you're probably going to die. And I think a lot of the residents knew that. And, um, you know, there was a lot of surgery, exper experimental surgeries that were happening that were allowed to happen somehow at this place when they were trying to bring relief and comfort, you know, at least at some, to some extent to the residents that were there that people died in pretty terrible ways in that aspect as well, too. So, yeah. Um, wow. That's, yeah, I guess that would be kind of a bummer to uh <laughs> yeah, to just have that sense of of sadness the entire time you're you're walking around and so yeah imagine imagine being stuck there you know if if there's reality to the idea of you know trauma and being stuck in a certain plane and not moving on to uh the other side as they say right. kind of being stuck at waverly hills would be a pretty terrible existence um for someone that has passed away and hasn't been able to make it to the next life or the other side or whatever it might be so it almost seems like in a lot of cases that you know from my experiences there and from what i've seen from other groups that 
the residents that remain in Waverly Hills really just want to be left alone. It doesn't seem like they are reaching out for help. It doesn't seem like they're interested in communicating with, with people to tell their story or contact their loved ones. It's almost like they just want to be left alone. And that's the impression I got, especially as the night went on. It was just like, I can't catch up to what's happening in front of me here. So maybe, I, maybe I'm not supposed to, you know, maybe I just need to I'll let it be. I gotcha. So no, no playful spirits, like something you, you see in like a lot of old taverns and bars where they'll, <laughs> they'll spin your cup away from you or knock it off the shelf. None of that. It's nothing. You know, we put up some experiments like that. I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because we put, you know, some uh, rubber balls, you know, a basketball and other things. And we set up cameras around those elements, you know, food and, you know, it's other trigger objects that we've had success with in the past at other places. I mentioned um, Octagon Hall there in Bowling Green, Kentucky. We've had a, quite a bit of success with trigger objects at that location historically. So we tried that at Waverly Hills and I was not able to capture anything with those objects, unfortunately. That was a, honestly beyond the laser experiment. That was the one thing I was really kind of counting on to capture something that could say, look, here's you know concrete evidence that something is happening here that is unexplainable. And, um, you know, I'm able to rule out everything else that could be a variable here other than something completely, you know, uh, paranormal as, as the result of what we're experiencing and what we're seeing. Yeah, I guess it, it definitely lends, uh, lends credence to your idea, the feeling that they just want to be left alone. Like, if they're going to interact with stuff that they probably, you know, would have interacted with when they were alive, then yeah, maybe they're, uh, they're just kind of set and don't want anymore. Yeah, I really hope that they don't turn it into condos or whatever the hell their big plans are. You know, I think some investors own the property at this point, and who knows what they're going to do with the structure. But uh, it just seems like the kind of place that doesn't need to have anything happen to it. You know, yeah. I mean, the idea of being able to investigate there um, you know, is already a stretch as it is. If um, you know, the reality is that whoever is residing there still just wants to be left alone, then maybe that's what we should be doing uh, instead of kind of stirring the pot as investigators. But, um, you know, we're on a mission to capture uh, evidence and, uh, you know, really kind of break open what's happening here um, and the idea of, you know, an afterlife or things that we understand. So it's, it's important work for sure, I think. And, uh, you know, I wish it, it does, I wish I got the respect that it deserves as far as the, the time. Yeah, that, um, I, I, I agree with you on that one. And unfortunately, I think um, I think the overpopularity of the of the topic of, you know, what was it in the early like 2010s? There were so many ghost hunting shows out there that it just kind of flooded the mm -hmm. the social, you know, social spectrum that everyone you know everyone was coming out of of the woodworks with ghost hunting this and ghost hunting that and um you know there was a lot of it that was that was kind of hinky and there were you know some some questionable stories and questionable things that happened and i think that put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths but yeah you're exactly right you know and to the point that we made earlier about um extraterrestrial evidence you know we're seeing a lot of um, footage that's been released over the past couple of years from people that, you know, in the Air Force, people that are in the military that 
hold a lot of prestige and respect. And when they tell you that they have experienced something, you know, you believe them. And now we have the Pentagon that has, you know, um, verified that the footage that we've received from some of these, you know, F-16s um, over the course of the past 10 years that's been leaked by New York Times as being valid. And uh, so I feel like we're finally getting the respect that's deserved there for that question is, you know, are we alone in the universe and are we being visited by beings, you know, from other worlds? And I wish that we had some sort of breakthrough moment or something like that when it comes to investigating the paranormal or the idea of spirits and ghosts, because I think that's an equally um, valid exploration uh, for sure. No, I, th I think, I think you're hundred percent right on that. That's, um, you know, and man, yeah. And that's going to be hard now, especially in today's society, because everyone with a computer can edit something mm -hmm. and throw digital effects onto something or, you know, make it look like there's a ghost in the background of a video and, you know, it's going to be tough. There's got to, there, it would have to come from a very reputable source, um, you know, I, I don't know the government would release anything like that because then you start getting into the religious aspect of it. And a lot of times they want to shy away from that as best they can. But yeah, it's, it, it would have to come from somebody big and have to, and it have to, it would have to be big too. It couldn't just be like smoke in the background. It, it would have to be, I, I would almost say it would have to be some sort of interaction that was caught and verified from multiple, mm -hmm. multiple sources, multiple either camera or audio or, or something so yeah absolutely but i think it, we'll experience that hopefully some, at some point in our lifetime but uh i guess we'll see see how it yeah. plays out so awesome man well i dude i've had a blast talking to you about waverly and uh if if i ever get a chance to come up and visit man we'll, we'll have to at least uh i don't know if i don't know if we can rent it out the whole night but it'd be cool to take a tour and if we got enough people it'd be cool to go and, and do some overnight stuff there i'm not gonna lie yeah, I, I'm 1,000% down to revisit at some point, especially with the right people. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, let me know, man. And it's been a pleasure talking with you about this, too. I have quite a few other interesting experiences that, uh, you know, I've had during my time with the Clarksville Ghost Hunters. So if you ever need a, a guest for anything in the future, I've got a couple more lined up for you. Absolutely, dude. I'd love to have you back on. I love repeat guests because uh, it gives me a chance to tell more of their story or for them to tell more of their story. And, uh, it, you know, it lets me hear more more cool, exciting things that uh, are creepy, exciting things, I should say, that have happened to people, so. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, man. And we'll, uh, we'll get with you again here shortly and uh, see about getting you back then. All right, Mr. Fields, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. All right, thanks, Chris. All right, guys. So thanks to everyone who turned in to the very first episode of our second season. I hope you enjoyed the show and leave a comment below letting me know if you've ever been to Waverly Hills. And remember, you can find the show on most major platforms, YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Instagram. Just search for Tales from the Dark Roast. So whenever you're listening, wherever you're listening, leave us a comment, a review, or just hit the like button if you're enjoying the Dark Roast. Thank you for listening. And if you have a dark story you're willing to tell, then I have a pot of dark coffee I'm willing to share. I'm William Fields, and this has been Tales from the Dark Roast.